I think that sounds about good. Uh, if this is good. Yeah, just like that. Suggested donation. Welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Minoff. And I'm Tony Serenai. And uh, today we have a very familiar name, a uh, very familiar name in the uh, New York realism scene. Uh, somebody who's seen it all. And many a well-known artist has gone through his classroom doors. And I'll say this, he and his generation, I believe, um, we owe a debt of gratitude to for holding and keeping that artistic flame alive when it was almost extinguished. Carrying welcome, the torch. Carrying the torch. Let's welcome uh, Mr. Max Ginsburg. Max Well, thank Ginsburg. you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I think this is a great idea, you know, to talk about these ideas, and it's something that I've often wanted to talk yeah. about. We think so, too. And uh, complain about, <laughs> because there's a lot to complain yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> so Max, and, you know, you're you're a New Yorker, right? Like you're um, born and raised Brooklyn guy. No, I'm not born in New York. I thought you were born. Yeah. Where are you no, originally from? No. I I hesitate to say this, but I was born in Paris, France. <gasps> and I hesitate to la. say it because I'm trying to appear as a realist, uh-huh. an ordinary, around-the-block kind of a guy. Okay. Not an elitist. But in fact, you're a fancy guy. But, <laughs> well, my father was a painter, and, and I was born while they were traveling in France. Uh. So that's why I joined them in Paris mm. in 1931. You showed so now up. you know how old you, I was. You interrupted in Paris. You just I guess so, yeah. Well, I really interrupted them. He painted a painting... A self-portrait when I was born. Really? And he was smiling. But when I was two years old, he stopped smiling. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We all know what that's like. (laughs) No, what happened is he finished the portrait. He was a portrait painter. He finished the portrait, and I walked into his studio. I saw the way he paints. So I took a brush, and I started to paint over his finished (laughs) portrait. So he saw what I did, and he got angry, and he gave me my first lesson. <laughs> and uh, that was a spanking. And that, w- that was a warning about what the future holds in store. <laughs> and have you carried and, on and, that teaching technique with your students? <laughs> oh, yeah. Tough. You have to be tough. I mean, when the proportions are off, what else are you going to do? But spank. you got to spank them. Yeah, yeah. Well, some people are opposed to spanking. But. Yeah. Corporal punishment. Or is it corporal punishment? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not really an atelier, a typical atelier style. Uh, I wouldn't say, they used to have, uh, especially in the French ateliers and the Beaux-Arts, they used to be pretty brutal about the hazing and like the new students coming in. Uh, apparently there was all these crazy um, gags they used to do on the new incoming students and some of them are legendary. And I think we mentioned this once yeah. before. Didn't somebody Jerome, die? I think in Jerome's class, it was especially pretty brutal. 
Yeah, apparently you're a somebody student. died in a birdcage. Something like that. Well, you know, I even heard like at the Art Students League and maybe other places, uh, they would usually have, I think, the better students or the students who were considered better by the instructor yeah. who would take the first spot. You yeah, know, with the model. That was always like a traditional yeah. and thing. And sometimes right? they'd have large paintings, you know, as if there's no consideration <laughs> right. for the other people. <laughs> the schlub, well, I'm the, the number schlub one painter, in the back. So I yeah. get the big yeah. canvas in the best spot. Yeah, well, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> that's terrible. That should never happen. I think more people should be encouraged. And you have to show consideration. But that's a that's a quality that I think transcends. Not just that, but painting and life. You know, I think there's a connection. Quickly go back to, you were talking about your father being yeah. a painter. Yeah, yeah. So when he was in Paris, was he out there studying? Well, no, he, he studied. He, he was born in Odessa in the Ukraine. Oh, wow. In 1891. Mm. And uh, he came to the States... Uh, in, nine, in 1912, and he had wanted to become an artist, but his father, who was a Hebrew teacher, didn't uh, feel that was the right thing to do. You know, you can't make a living, mm. so on and so forth. But even then, because I know a lot of artists were kind of, back then they were yeah. like, oh, could yeah, make yeah. a good living being yeah, but, an artist. But most of the people, like today, Say if you if you're going to be an artist, you're not going to make a good living. Right. Yeah. And they advise their kids to go into something else: doctor, lawyer, nurse, teacher, whatever. So Hebrew, even, Hebrew yeah. teacher. Hebrew teacher. Uh, well, <laughs> but uh, he he decided uh, not to, and um, so then when he came to the states, he was already an adult, so he did what he wanted to do. So he enrolled in the National Academy of Design. Up here in New York. And up on New York. 89th yeah. Street. No, right. that was on 110th Street oh, at that time. Okay. Uh, someplace around Amsterdam Avenue mm. or Columbus. Mm -hmm. It was uh, facing, facing St. John's. And, and he, he uh, enrolled in uh, 1918. And he studied there until 22. Had he trained at all in in Ukraine or in no, Russia? No. So, so the, he was so he was, he was self-taught up to this no, point. No, he wasn't taught. So he, as an adult, he, he started his training. He, yeah, he started right. Wow. He started, you know, he was an adult. Okay, so he started his training, and his uh, main teacher was Charles Hawthorne. The portrait painter. He was a portrait yeah, painter. Yeah, portrait right? painter. Yeah. But he said he had him mainly for drawing. Uh -huh. Charles Hawthorne. Mm -hmm. And that was in the academy, you know. And that's basically the way you guys work here. Yeah. 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 And uh, then, um, who was the other fellow? And there was another artist uh, also who was also Russian. Uh, Iliad Repin. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Repin at that time was in Finland. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. That's so they were. I mean, some of our heroes were alive. I made, I named oh, yeah. my son Reppin. His son is named Reppin. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, After, wow. but it's it's amazing yeah. to know that your your dad was, yeah. you know. He, well, he 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 got a lot of awards 
And some of the people, I remember coming down from the Art Students League, said he was the best student in the class. Wow. And I could see the skill he had. When you come over to my studio, I'll show you some of his paintings. So you have a Yeah, you in fact, have some, huh? you still have some of his work. I have some of it, uh, and not that much. Mm. But he uh, did, um, uh, you know, a lot of paintings. Uh, of not just the models, but also portraits. Mm. Became mainly a portrait painter. But when he finished at the academy, he got a fellowship to study in Berlin and Paris for two years. And uh, then he came back to the States. Mm -hmm. By the way, one of his classmates was Rachel Sawyer. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. Because they were about similar age, also Russian Jews. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, so they were in the same class. But seeing the way Raphael Sawyer went, you know, I don't think he was as skilled as yeah. my father. Yeah. But he had had other gifts that enabled him to become famous and well-known and so on and so forth. What, like were some what? of those, what like, the... handsome? Part of, part of, <laughs> part of, uh, Gift of Gab? Part of it. Well, of course, gift of gab. That, that he helps. could speak. He knew how to politic. Yeah, he was a smart guy, and I was influenced by him to a large degree. Not so much for his painting skills and technique, but more for the concepts that he was trying to speak about. Mm -hmm. They were social concepts. Mm. He was, in many ways, considered one of the early social realists. And you're talking about so Sawyer. Sawyer, Sawyer. Yeah. Did you grow up knowing him? Was yeah, he, yeah. I mean, he was a, like a yeah, friend who'd be yeah, over yeah, at your dad's friend. studio. And well, my father wasn't as sociable or as smart. You know, I mean, this, this took smart people. Smart people can get around to places hmm. and make connections. Yeah. Talented people, it's not enough. Yeah. You need to have more than talent. As you guys may have learned already. I oh, know. we've learned the hard yeah. way. <laughs> now here you see, I'm 84 and I'm finally having an interview. <laughs> You've had interviews before. You're how a legend. Do you, how do you know? You're I a read legend. Your interview. I read your Huffington Post interview. This, is, oh, yeah. this isn't <laughs> your first time at the rodeo. You know what you're saying. At any rate, uh, but I was influenced by him. And I remember taking some paintings over to him to show him the work. And, um, not the self-portrait you scribbled on. No, not your dad. No. <laughs> or no. the, your dad's portrait. No, this was a painting I did of my father stretching canvas. Oh, wow. And um, it's online. Or you may have seen it in the book. I would have brought over some material to show you, but you didn't want me to bring over any pictures. I didn't say that. I don't know why. Tony's, I apologize. Okay. Really you know, Anytime you, you ever want to bring we paintings. We should have sent you the note about all this. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't say that. You'll have to visit. Disregard everything will, Tony said. I will come to you. I mean, I, your studio is actually just down the block from the Grand Central Academy where we're uh, recording right now. So uh, yeah. I would love, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to come by and see your stuff. Well, I'm a big fan. It's, Let's come by. It's not, a, not just down the block. It's down around 10 blocks. Oh, 10 or eight ah, Where is it? It's nothing. It's, I mean, we're, we're in the neighborhood. Well, you guys are young, you know. It <laughs> took me an effort to walk in. Uh, Max, did you, were you largely studying with your father privately? or? I would say that growing up in his presence, seeing the way he's painting, right. you kind of take it for granted. The manner in which he painted, though, that I saw, was not so much 
I think, what he may have started at the academy. Mm-hmm. But it was more uh, like a manner of John Singer Sargent. Mm. It was more a la prima. So a little less you know, more academic. direct. So right. he developed that outside of the... Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. But, you know, you never know. When I look at Charles Hawthorne's work, some of it looks doesn't look that academic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It looks more a la prima. Yeah. But uh, there was the other guy who he studied painting with, and I'll remember his name... Hopefully, before we end this, we'll just splice it in. <laughs> Ivan Olinsky. Ivan Olinsky. Ivan Olinsky. Um, Edited for TV version. Yeah. Ivan Olinsky. Mr. I mean, but you know, he's not as famous as Charles Hawthorne. Uh, at any rate, uh, growing up, seeing the way he painted, you know, gave me, of course, an insight. Whereas I think a lot of my peers, some even older than me, didn't have that approach mm. you know um now the way he painted for example he would um you know just go directly into the painting and not do a previous drawing sometimes you did if you're doing a complicated composition mm-hmm. or perhaps if you're doing a, a portrait and you happen you happen having to use a photograph mm-hmm. so sometimes you, you trace but usually he would just paint from life and very direct. And um, when you come over, I'll show you, for example, uh, one or two portraits that he did. Like in 1930, I have a portrait he did of my aunt. And it has more of those early qualities. Mm-hmm. And then in 1940, there were other paintings he did that were much looser and freer. Yeah. You know? even looser and freer than, let's say, the way I paint often now. Well, I guess the, the question is, was it relatively new, that the, his approach to painting at the time? No, I don't think so. So, I no, think it wasn't like, I, oh, he's I think, something... I think it's there. pretty much the way many of the painters painted okay. at that time, uh, who were skilled, not the Ashcan School so much as yeah. uh, some of the other painters, whether it's Sargent or... Um, some of the uh, 19th century like Zorn, right. Zorn, and, Zorn of and, course, and, and Soroya, Soroya yeah, right. and all these. Uh, right. Were those guys your heroes growing up, or were you exposed to, to those painters? To a large degree, I would say I was. Yeah. And um, was there anybody who stood out as well, like your I would, hero? I would, well, I was referred to Rembrandt and the Old Masters yeah. Yeah. as my heroes. <laughs> but my heroes encompasses several qualities, not just the skill in their painting. Mm-hmm. See, like the skill in Sargent's painting, I really like. Yeah. Although I was disappointed with this last show at the Met. At, really? Yeah, oh, I terrible. loved it. I, it was too experimental, and I think it was too many mistakes. That was just badly done. Are you I, kidding? I, I, thought I thought it was, it was great. great. He's kidding, isn't he? No, I, I thought it was not that I didn't think there was mistakes or anything. Some of the I just thought it was good. inspiring because a was, lot of them were great and also a little bit more personal. And yeah, seeing, they seem I like, mean, as an artist, I think as a painter, being able to kind of lift the curtain a little bit and see his process and some of the ones that are you know just sketches of friends. I thought also seeing him painting people who he had relationships with. I think mm-hmm. you saw a life in those paintings and maybe an empathy that didn't doesn't always exist in his Well, in, some, in some of them, but I'm not restricted to just that. Mm. Yeah, because 
Some of them he might have had feeling for some of the people he knew, but I just don't think they were painted well. Mm. Yet there were others who, for example... Oh, uh, Carlos Duran, that's a great painting. Yeah, yeah, that was good, of course. Well, that's, <laughs> that's unusual. <laughs> and and there, were, there were other paintings, you know, that were very good. Uh, the one of, uh, who's this uh, writer? With the, you see his hand. Henry James. Yeah, Henry yeah. James. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was really nice. Boy, is this going to be a bad night? I'm forgetting that. No, no worries. Uh, then there was uh, one there, I remember there, that was all, it stood out. It made me think that maybe it wasn't a real sergeant or something, although it did look like it. Sergeant T. When I looked at the brush Listen, strokes, it Everybody like, makes mistakes. Everybody's got a bad <laughs> yeah, day, right? Right. Even Mike Even Tyson. me. Jay Braun has no mistakes. <laughs> no, but, but uh, it's not the kind of thing you want to show. Right, yeah. You know, uh, and... Uh, Wasn't it uh, told that Michelangelo used to burn and destroy all his drawings to make... Because he didn't want anybody to know that he struggled? Yeah, that's what I advise my students to do sometimes. Burn, burn all your... You heard it here first. A suggested <laughs> donation. Burn, burn all your drawings. Of the burn that drawing. Burn it. Yeah, no. No, I suggest itself. destroy your inferior works before you die. <laughs> So what are some, well, let me ask you this, what are the qualities of your heroes, then? Well, it's twofold. One is that skill, mm. and the other is the expression that you see in life, and that, that is, in my opinion, more truthful and revealing about the world. Mm. In other words, it's, you know, whereas there's an artistry in the art, and it's well done. That's good. But at the same time, I think it goes beyond that. And there's something about um, revealing uh, the reality of the world, which, for example, uh, some people don't really reveal. Now, for example, in Sargent's painting, the reality of that world is not my world. That's an alien world. It's, that's a, a, no, fancy, that's a, world, it's a very fancy world. That's a world of rich people. Yeah. That's a world of, well, let's say, to a degree, Fragonard and Boucher. Mm -hmm. You know, where rich people playing in their gardens. Now, but it's valid. That existed. And to that degree, I think, you know... <laughs> and that was his world. world. Yeah, that was so his world. So he was painting his world. So when I had to do illustration, and by the way, I did illustration. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, I, I announced it to the world, and I did <laughs> illustration, because that is a reality of what I and many artists have to do to make a living. Right. The tragedy is that many artists don't care what they're saying, and to them, the bottom line is, can they make a lot of money? Mm. And the tragedy is, I think, that they often psych themselves into believing whatever they're doing is their great passion, which I have doubts about, mm -hmm. you know, but I think that, that being bought is a big factor. And the fact that artists have to make a living, you know, is a problem. Yeah, you gotta you know? be able to yeah. paint I'm that sure next painting. I'm sure you guys feel it. Of course, yeah. every day, yeah. you know, it gets very yeah. difficult. So as a result, in 1980, well, also we teach. Yeah. I taught at the High School of Art and Design for 
22 years. On 59th Street? Was it that was Eastside? on 57th Street and 2nd Avenue. And that was a high school that really emphasized yes. the, uh, yeah. the arts. But those were more working class kids. Yeah. They were students who came from um, middle class and lower income families. A lot of graffiti artists I know. Oh, yeah. Went yeah. through that school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, whereas when I was a kid, you know, I, I didn't even know about that school. And I, I went to music and art because that was the fancy high school. Mm. But that was more <laughs> academic. Where was music and art? At that time, it was 135th Street and Convent Avenue, which is now part of uh, City College. Oh, uh, so wait, yeah. were you living in Brooklyn at the time? I was living in Brooklyn when I started going to that school. What's that's a? Oh yeah, that's another thing. How I was long born did that in take Paris. You to get there? <laughs> I was born in Paris, but I moved to Brooklyn with my parents when I was two. Uh-huh. So you're first Brooklyn, we lived yeah. in Brighton Beach, and then we moved to Borough Park. Yeah. And um, in Borough Park, uh, my mother was a pharmacist, worked in a hospital. And I was influenced by a lot of things going on at that time, before we lose sight of this. I was influenced by the social times. I was influenced by the, the struggle in her hospital for workers to get better recognition Better, better incomes and better conditions, you know, to work on them. Would she come home and tell you about these? Uh, yeah, the sometimes they had union meetings in my house. Wow. What yeah, era was the, this? Like what This decade? was in the 1930s. Right. Oh, wow. so and the, her, her, she was a pharmacist. Her assistant is the fellow who later organized the hospital workers for 1199 which until then was a drug and retail union. Mm. Now, hearing these stories and growing up in the Depression, you become influenced to the social upheavals and unfairness that exists. So this is, these are some of the reasons why I paint what I do. Mm-hmm. World War II is a reason. You know, having many relatives who died in the Holocaust. You were about 10 during... I was uh, 10, 1941. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, having relatives who died in the Holocaust uh, made me a little scared, Mm -hmm. especially since Hitler was advancing. Mm. And being Jewish... You knew about it while it was going on. You knew... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, now, a lot of this was hidden from the public... And uh, they didn't know about the concentration camps, but many people did know. Were you hearing from relatives? I was hearing from my parents Mm -hmm. and also left-wing and Jewish publications at the Mm -hmm. time. Were they getting um, information from overseas? Um, How were they getting? Because it's not like you could just grab your cell phone. To some degree, uh, they knew that the Russians were fighting the Nazis, so there was the Russian war relief. You know, and that was a part of it. Uh, and uh, my mother, I know, had two sisters there. My wife's relatives, most of them died in the concentration camps. They were in Poland. Wow. And so here, you know, I, I followed the war on a map, you know, with flags. Yeah. And then you saw how, and then at Stalingrad, things changed. That was in 1943. So the Russians began to beat back their Germans. Mm-hmm. 
See, and it was then that the Americans got more into the war. Yeah. Because they were not so much afraid of Hitler uh, being being defeated or the Russians being defeated. They wanted either one had to happen. Yeah. But I think they were afraid that the Russians would take over Western Europe. And that was a big thing, you yeah. know. So they entered that was the war. Definitely but like it was a still, concern. Yeah, it was still a uh, a factor. Yeah. But you see the the humanitarian thing about this whole thing was I think the important issue. And that is that you had these horrible concentration camps, this racism that existed, you know, that was so terrible. And uh, my my feeling was that, well, it entered into, sometimes into drawings and paintings I was doing. But still, I was a kid. And later on, when I was in the Army, I was drafted in 53. Um, I, I remember seeing black GIs who could not use the facilities, especially in the South. Mm-hmm. But German prisoners of war could were, because yeah. they were white. That was yeah, that was a well known. Yeah. Sort so of thing this, these are some of the factors that influenced me at an early age. Also, you study history, civics, you know, in school, and maybe I took it too seriously. You know, well, about the concept of democracy. Well, humanity is, is a serious thing. Yeah. Do you think that an artist has a, a responsibility to I think lead so. on issues? I and... think so. I think so. But I don't think it's, it's something that every artist has to do unless he feels it. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, but you for know, you, if, if you have a, a feeling of uh, humanity... Mm-hmm. Uh, you must see that there are certain injustices being done, mm-hmm. and you can't really look the other way. You know, you probably read some of the things I wrote. Sure. Where I r- wrote, like, truth is beauty, and if you evade the truth, it's not beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's ugly. And as an artist, if you evade those realities, I think that you're missing something that is so important in life. And that's why I think even in in the arts, you have people who, and the artists, who will see the realities, you know, and speak about them. Uh, I think uh, this is something that um, is probably probably, uh, in a way a conscience Mm -hmm. of humanity and, you know, and it goes through the history of art, where artists, you know, of all people, were the ones who would make note. They're of usually these the fir- they're usually on the front line of concept of like changing. Like when you yeah. see a regime change in history, it was the artists <clears throat> who were the first ones to start really making the noise, you know. And then you could see, you know, famous examples. I would say maybe Goya would be somebody who you can look at as yeah. somebody who was, at a time, was making a stink, you know, yeah. about life. Well, I cite, I often cite Goya, Disasters of War, of war yeah. and uh, Picasso's Guernica. Mm. Mm. Yet, these are two artists who I don't hold so high Honest. in terms of their skill. skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even yeah. Goya. His drawings were powerful. 
and I really, really appreciate them. But when I look at his paintings, I don't hold them in that high esteem. And of course, Picasso, well, you know my point of view on Picasso. Yeah, yeah. What's so, your what's point of view on, on Picasso? Picasso? <laughs> <laughs> you can't get away with saying that. <laughs> uh, my point of view on Picasso is that I think he was primarily uh, a smart, ingenious, good businessman. Oh, yeah. And he certainly knew how to market his product so that rich people would buy it and make him a millionaire in his life in a very in his lifetime, in his yeah. lifetime. Yeah. he was Pic yeah. he was picasso yeah. when he was alive yeah. now now you name. see the thing is that you know what he was doing and many of the modernists were doing was changing realism you know and that's okay i have no no i have no qualms with that the thing that i object to is that the establishment took that and carried it further so that they dominated the art scene. Mm. So that if people wanted to learn to draw and paint realistically, they couldn't or had a very difficult time doing it. Yeah. And that was the century that I grew up in. Yeah, right. So that's why I say, you know, I'm, I'm not happy with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Picasso and the abstract expressionists, they're free to do what they want, and that's fine. But the schools and the colleges, they can give thesis and degrees on a blank canvas, sure. on a piece of crap on the floor. But they don't give these degrees and thesis to people who are drawing and painting realistically. You know, and assuming that when they paint realistically, whether they work more in uh, more of the academic tradition or let's say the realist tradition which i often call social realism mm -hmm. you see but they don't they don't entertain that mm -hmm. is there any abstract or modern art that you like or that you appreciate uh not not really not okay. really appreciate i mean i can i can appreciate certain feelings of moving paint around. Mm -hmm. I appreciate some of the aspects of design and uh, sensitivity as to whether there is a tone on a canvas in relation to another tone, mm -hmm. you know, but it's limited as far as I'm concerned. How about That's what that, Ted thinks too. <laughs> what about, how about when, you know, the MO of this art, because a lot of times nowadays people try to put in these topics concepts in their art it's just their art is really ugly exactly and do you do you do you appreciate the fact that they're trying to say something but i have judged exhibitions and sometimes i see works of art where they're trying to say the kind of thing that i that might say in, yeah. but they're badly done so i would not give them any kind of an award yet i would give an award to somebody else who may not be trying to make a statement, but the painting is a good painting. So you value the quality value, of the painting, yeah. the technical yeah. qualities of yeah. the painting, maybe yeah. over yeah. even the, yeah. the content. Now, when I say truth is beauty, it enters into that, in my opinion. Right. Because I feel that when you see form, you know, the human form, it's a beautiful thing. And as soon as they start to abstract it 
I think it dehumanizes that form. Mm -hmm. And people don't think of it in that sense. And they begin to say, oh, this is beautiful, it's an abstract design, and so on. But I think it, uh, it, it takes away the humanity from mm -hmm. that form of art. Mm -hmm. So that's why I feel that a lot of the social realists who I admired for their concepts, whether it's the Ashcan School or the plain air, plain, what is it, American scene painters? Yeah, like the someone, landscape. Yeah. Kind or, of. or like uh, Sawyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that I, I appreciate what they were expressing, but I feel that, that they, they, they um, uh, succumbed to the attitude of the modern art establishment mm -hmm. right. in, in trying not to do realism. When, but they have a right to do it. Yeah, of course. See, the problem is that we didn't have a right to develop our art. <laughs> That's were, so it's the establishment's fault, not the artist's fault? I mean, would you say? Well, money enters into it, and I think that it's the money behind it all. So when the Guggenheims, you know, paid the Picasso so much money for what he was doing, it's their fault. Right. For some reason, they entered into it. I don't know if it's a business deal, or you feel you can make a, sell a, a product if you give it enough advertising and so on and so forth. But let me tell you a story about that. When I had this exhibition retrospective at the Butler Institute, I know which I had in 2011, I had 95 paintings there, and it was crowded. People were really interested. They came around, there were interesting reviews, and, you know, I was, I was elated. Uh, the director was telling me he never had such a big crowd. In the next studio, there was an, an exhibition of abstract bas-reliefs. It was empty. Mm -hmm. Yet the so-called experts in art would say, that's contemporary. And what I was doing was old-fashioned. But people I were relating. Got, I never understood. People that. were relating to my work, pr primarily because it communicated. And why did it communicate? Because it was a combination of realist form, with concepts and ideas that people could relate to and understand. Max, what did you make of when when abstract expressionism was like reaching its peak? What did you make of that? As, as you were living through it and trying to continue to do the kind of work that you were doing. Well, in, uh, in the 1950s, I kind of stayed with trying to be realistic. And that's when I did that painting of my father stretching canvas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then in the 1960s, I stayed with my ideas, but I tried to loosen up because the galleries were saying... You got to loosen up. You got to right. change. You yeah. can't be so realistic. It must have been incredibly difficult. So, so I began to loosen up, and I changed. Uh, but it was still realistic, you know. So I was influenced by Daumier to a degree. Right. Um, I was influenced by well Hopper, mm -hmm. and there were others. But and I was considering, maybe I should change my mind about the direction and art. Maybe, maybe I should go with the flow. You know, so you and, about yeah, because after all, after who am I? I'm, right. I'm, a, I'm a kid. I'm still in my twenties. You know, what do I know about art? Yeah. You know, okay, my father worked realistically. 
but you know, who listens to your father? You're breaking away. Yeah. You know, so it becomes a whole personal <laughs> yeah. thing. Had those artists, had Hopper and uh, and Domier appealed to you before that? Oh, yeah, or yeah. did they really start? No, they, they appealed to me because of the subject matter and what they were saying. There were many American artists who, who were in that boat. But it sounds like technically maybe they, they became more appealing when you're to, seeing yeah. abstract expressionists. I mean, I just, I can't imagine what it's like to be painting what you think what what you strongly believe are important and good paintings and seeing the opposite of what you think is good paintings well, getting yeah. all of the attention. And well, but during that period of time, I did a lot of paintings using references and using uh, sketches, mm-hmm. you know, like um, paintings dealing with the, with the um, Vietnam War mm-hmm. and so on. That's in but the 60s and that, 70s. Yeah, that was in the 60s and early 70s. Right. But, but then um, uh, I, I, uh, I started, uh, I was also, so I started to exhibit in a gallery that seemed to entertain paintings by realists. And this was a gallery you may have heard of called the Harbor Gallery. It was in Cold Spring Harbor, Long Island. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of painters who started there, who I saw them exhibiting. I mean, people like Ron Scher. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Shanks. Shanks, yeah. Uh, and then there were, you know, others. Did you of, know those guys Yeah. at that time? Well, I knew Shanks a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, not Shanks. Um, Cher, uh, Ron Cher, Cher. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Shanks, He's a great portrait Shanks I didn't really know. I mm-hmm. thought his work was a little stiff at that time because mm-hmm. he was a younger, younger guy then. <laughs> <laughs> Young and, hot and shot. I didn't, I, didn't really, I didn't really know him that well. Uh, the dealer thought he was going to go places, you know. And he did. Anyway, he did all right for himself. <laughs> but so, and, and then I began to have exhibitions and began to practically sell out hmm. because... There was an audience there who liked the realism to, to, to the degree I did it. And then they liked the subject matter. There was more progressive kind of people who appreciated mm-hmm. paintings of people in the street, you know, uh, working people and so on. That's funny because you're talking about them being progressive, yet you were doing this old-fashioned thing that well, would probably only appeal to, like, you know, people just who, when Jackson Pollock is yeah. like splattering <laughs> canvases. Yeah. yeah, but then, but then in the in the seventies, uh, at the High School of Art and Design, I started to want to have uh, a group of people who would be able to paint more, draw and paint more from life. And uh, this was a battle because the administration didn't like it. They felt. Students are not going to get jobs. That See, just if they boggles do, my mind, yeah. though. If they do pace-ups and mechanicals, yeah. you know what pace-ups and mechanicals are? So you guys don't even know that. No, right? what is they that? They paste up yeah. and yeah. then photograph it and put it into the magazines yes. or whatever. Yeah. So, and then they taught well, them certain lettering, you know, hand yeah. lettering and so on. So my friend Greedy... And I, you may have heard yeah, of Erwin Greenberg. And he was teaching at SVA. Well, he was, yeah, he was also teaching at Art and Design. He was a watercolorist. Yeah, he came into Art and Design in 67. Mm-hmm. And we became close friends because we had the same 
point of view on political and social ideas. Right. Although I guess I was a little more uh, expressive of it. Because mm-hmm. I, I did more narrative paintings mm-hmm. relating to that. So he wasn't painting yeah, he, But he did a lot of paintings of people and so on. But see, the thing is that I felt, I felt he was an admirable, admirable person. Yeah. First of all, uh, he was a paratrooper in yeah. World War II. Now, to, be, to do that, you got to enlist. And he was very, very strong about fighting fascism. So that's why he we went into it. Of course, he was older than me, so he was able to do that. And um, and then he lost an eye. He was in Euro- European? In Euro- Europe, yeah. And then he was on a uh, mission, and he lost an eye. And yet he continued to work and paint mm-hmm. with one eye. Wow. You know, and teach. Is and it- there was one time he told the students... I'm going to leave the room, and I want you to behave yourself. And just to be sure, I'm going to keep an eye on you. And he put one piece of And he put one kids really burst out laughing. But he had, you talk about empathy. He had, oh, yeah. so much compassion and empathy for people, for ordinary people. And that was the beautiful thing about him that I appreciated and I learned a lot from. Uh, whereas many teachers came in to punch the, punch the clock yeah. and leave because they really hated dealing with people yeah. and hated dealing with those students. Mm-hmm. See, now, he and I had a different attitude. So we had this morning group and we had students coming in at 6.30 in the morning. Was uh, SVA. Yes, Steve Asselin. He was one of them. Wait, was this at SVA or Art and Design? No, Art and Design. Okay, because you had the same thing at SVA. They were high school students. Well, SVA was on Sundays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would do that. But but in high school, these were high school kids, you know, 15 years old. 6.30. And some of the girls had a problem because the mothers didn't want them to ride the subways that early. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, So we started that. And students began to come around in the morning and draw and paint, and we'd pose for each other two hours every day. This is in addition, if they had classes with me, which was called illustration at the time, and they would paint. And that's when those murals were being done by other students. See, Steve was already too old for that. Mm. He graduated in 75. (laughs) But... These other students in 79 were able to do that. Uh, when we, oh, you were not in that school. You were in SVA. I was in SVA. Yeah. And um, they were amazing what they did. You know, I would show you some of the work that they did. Uh, was there a sense of, like, rebellion, too? Because they were like, look, I'm getting up at, like, 5.30, I'm getting to school by 6, 6.30, and we're painting, and we're doing this thing that's so not cool nowadays. So was there the sense... It's like a counter-cultural... I mean, if anything, I would think that would appeal to the young. I mean, yeah. to the young, because I did that. It was It was like a... You young know, rebels, rebel punk rock thing to yeah. do is to I don't, be like. I don't to be think good it, I don't think it was so much countercultural as it was that they just really wanted to know and develop this skill of drawing and painting realistically. 
And I'll tell you frankly, I think Steve was one of the influential kids because he was able to uh, to uh, to um, influence yeah. certain others who felt, well, maybe they better go and just have the commercial, uh, you know, illustration approach. Mm-hmm. But Steve already at an early age sensed that this was a fine art approach. So, so we, were, we were doing that. Now, the students were not getting paid. I mean, not getting marked. There were no marks. Right. It was just to learn. And, they were learning. And my learn. friend and I were not getting paid. Right. And some teachers even said, how could you do that? You're coming in and offering your services for nothing? It's outrageous. It's outrageous. <laughs> and what was your but response? You see, what was your response, response to that? The response is that there's a human commitment, an artistic and a human commitment. This is what motivated me then and motivates me now when I'm doing the paintings I'm doing. Is it cathartic to expose these things that, that you, these truths that you want? It's to a do? combination of things. Sure, it makes you feel like you're expressing your conscience. You're not hiding. And there's a beauty in that. But on the other hand, you're not just doing it in an ivory tower. I think you're doing it because you want the world to see. And this is where I have a problem. I, since I've done these paintings, I want the paintings to hang in public exhibitions. But, you know, you, you, know, you have to connect. Yeah. So when I had it at the... Uh, at the butler. Uh, at, at the butler, yeah. You know, it was a public situation. At the Salma Gandhi Club. I had it in some other, you know, occasionally a gallery, or 1199, the hospital union, you see. So every now and then, you know, I can have things like that, and I want to continue it. You were talking about this uh, this museum, New Britain Museum? New Britain Museum yeah, of Art. Where they have re- a realist wing. Yeah. Well, I'd like it to be exposed in the museum. Yeah. I wanted to go into, you were talking about the truth being beauty. You know, and 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 I I absolutely agree with you. Well, and John Keats said it. <laughs> the poet, the yeah. English poet. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I also think about Ivan Olinsky, that was my father's other teacher. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll, nice we'll, 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 we'll edit, edit that, that in. in. <laughs> Jay Brando's magic in that world. <laughs> Ivan Olinsky. So you know, <laughs> without getting too deep into like the politics of the craziness that's going on right now and everything on the news, sometimes I'm like, I want to, and that it's like I don't want to see fluffy kittens, but I also want to see mm-hmm. the greatness that we. Well, can. sometimes no, sometimes you know, uh, like I'll do paintings uh, dealing with the joy in life, but you see in those paintings that I would do that. It's never 100% joy, mm. just as it's not 100% uh, gloom, doom. Mm. The reality of the world is that nothing is black and white. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, I can, uh, like, I'll, I'll show uh, uh, guys playing basketball. Okay, these are black guys playing basketball. They're having a great time. Uh, but yet there is the ghetto they're living in, which is like a prison. Mm-hmm. In fact, you see guys in prison playing basketball, having a great time. But I feel it's important to show 
that yeah, even in prison, guys can have a good time, but but it's a little bit of a condemning, you know, that situation, that social condition. Um, the same thing, you know, so I'll have the background, this graffiti and the wall, a school fence, so it's almost like a prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so that's just your self-expression. Material. You're always then, just like trying to express yeah, that. Yeah, yeah but the, your, then there's also another painting I did of a black woman taking care of white kids. And you have third, third, third world women taking care of other kids, mm-hmm. See, also mainly white. Now, that is a situation that is beautiful, but it's a social condition, you know. Is that totally beautiful, or is it questionable? See, there's always questions mm-hmm. that you're asking. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking at that, and let's say in that painting that I did, the kids look like Bougaro kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, they have contemporary dress. Mm-hmm. And the woman is like a rock of Gibraltar, you know, black, but tenderly taking care of them. And you have the whole park setting. Well, over there, there's the question that you begin to ask, you know, so that there's good and bad. Kathy Collowitz, I remember, did a beautiful etching a drawing. Is she, who is she? Kathy Kollowitz. Yeah. Kate Kollowitz. For the oh, the people German, who don't, for people who don't oh, know. German, German um, artist, mm-hmm. lived in the end of the 19th century, early part of the 20th, and painted uh, a lot of paintings about um, poor, poor people in Germany and how they were suffering mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't have enough food because uh, the people, relatives were killed in the war mm-hmm. and so on. But she has a painting in there that is very beautiful. I mean, not a painting, a drawing. You may have seen it. You know, it's where there's a, mo- a woman who obviously is the mother and she's looking at a man holding her kid and she's enjoying that moment. It's a beautiful, yeah, beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah. I think that's really important that even if you're painting ub- ugly subject matter, the paintings themselves have a striking beauty to yeah. them. Well, you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, in response to that, when I'm teaching, I try to talk about that in the Alla Prima painting, the use of cool and warm colors, yeah. you know, in order to see form as color, in order to see the values. Can you talk about your process a little bit yeah. with teaching? Yeah, well, in teaching, uh, I will usually explain what the Yala Prima approach is. It's painting uh, wet on wet uh, without a preliminary drawing. But you're constantly drawing. You never stop observing. That's the whole point of it. Because as you're painting, the form changes. So you always have to relate to that changing form. So it is constantly observing what the model looks like. When I'm teaching, I constantly tell the students that it's good to know anatomy, but don't let that blind you from seeing the unique qualities of the model. 
See, and, and that is where you get the individuality. And that individuality of the model is what gives you greater realism. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in the Alla Prima approach and what I'm teaching, those things are constant. And you never stop observing. You never stop drawing, in other words. Yeah. It's not like you do a preliminary blueprint and then color it. Yeah. Never that. But, why not? But why? Why, why does that appeal to you? It, appeal, it appeals to me because I think it's important to observe the form that is real. Because when you stop observing the form, it becomes a matter of smoothing out surfaces and losing the form. You get bumps in the wrong place. Uh, the, the form of the face or the head or the texture t- changes. Changes when you. It changes when you when when, when you don't work when, when you when you don't look, when you don't paint what you see, <laughs> when you're painting what you know or you just are concerned with smoothing out the surface. Well, I don't know why you would stop. Why you would necessarily have to stop observing to paint more. Uh, Resolved or, or to, oh to no, I'm more. saying I'm saying that you that you shouldn't. But right. I think many people you shouldn't, because I think it's important to paint the characteristics that you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just another step in the direction of uh, cubism or some other form where you're not adhering to what you're looking at, but you're painting something else. Some people call it being creative. Sometimes it's just bad drawing. <laughs> when you when you're not really observing the form. Right. But so why do you choose to paint a la prima as opposed to I don't know transferring a drawing? Uh, like why is that important to you? Or what do you get out well, of that? Well, okay. Well, because I just feel that you have to continue the painting process anyhow. And I feel that in approaching it, instead of getting involved in details Mm -hmm. before you paint, to get the basic form Mm -hmm. in, and then develop the details as you go. Mm -hmm. See, that's one of the the reasons why, for example, even though Steve is so different than me, you know, why I admire him so much. Because I think he does this probably better than almost anybody else in terms of his ability to see form and see how color relates to form mm-hmm. and getting those forms in place. Uh. I, mean, I, I mean, he's so, he's so, um, um, how should, what's the word? He's so sure of himself. He's, he has he's he is a, so a natural sure. ability. He, he is so to... sure of himself. He can just wipe it out, you know, and then paint it over, and he knows right. he's going to get the right drawing. Yeah. 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 When, I'm, when I'm doing a painting, I'll block in. You're not leaving me, are you? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I need you. <laughs> All of a sudden, he leaves. Ted and I are going to start ganging up yeah. on you. <laughs> my, my friend. <laughs> now what are you going to do with no Jay yeah, Braun? Yeah, now here? what? Let me see how tough you are without Jay Braun. <laughs> Quick, lock the door, Tony. <laughs> Maybe he had to go to the bathroom. He yeah. did. That's a good one. He's doing. Ladder like a pee. You know what? Uh, uh, let me revise. No, what, go ahead, I'm, go ahead. what I'm saying about this 
is that uh, that the 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 alla prima approach is just that you're developing the the drawing as you go. As you're but, doing, you're doing everything but, at the same time. But you're putting when, everything in the soup. When I'm doing a simple painting, like a one you know one figure, one person. Right. But if I was doing a multiple figure composition, mm -hmm. that's different. Yeah, because then you have to kind of okay. so what do you do the big this, this is, this is this is my approach. Okay. Yeah. First of all, I have an idea, like this painting I did unemployed online. So I did a bunch of sketches of people in my mind, you know, standing as they would on maybe online with a police barrier or something. Did you yeah. see them, or is this out of your? Oh, imagination? I've seen this many times. But you're just drawing. It's out of my of imagination. Out of my imagination. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the next step is that I'll get models mm -hmm. to come in, and I'll do a painting study in color. Painting, well, painting study in color. This is the alla prima yeah. approach. So it's a one-day painting study. This way, I'll get the individual's natural pose, natural body language, mm -hmm. action, and it may even change my initial. Uh, concept a little bit because the pose is going to be different. I'm getting the unique quality of this one guy. Yeah. Then I'll go on to the next person. And I may even make changes because of that. I'll get another, the next person coming in and do a painting of them. Two of them were a model. You may have painted them here. Uh, uh, what's, the, what's her name? Um, um, Mexican. Uh, a husband and wife. Oh, Esteban. Esteban and, and Leticia. Uh, Leticia, Leticia, yeah. yeah. So I, I had them in there, you know, so they're together. Okay, yeah. he's standing online, you know, and the way he poses, stalwart, which fit right into what I wanted. He's like a statue. He's saying, yeah, like a statue. Well. Whereas the first person was on a phone. Right. He was a little different. See? Right. And then, so um, I'm putting him, him now, he's, he's standing there like a statue, and I want his wife to be comforting him. So she's got her arm around him like she's giving him certain comfort, you know, because uh, she's his wife. Okay. So the characteristics, you see, of these people became important mm. because of those particular people. Mm. See, the individual plays a so big role. So you kind role. of adjust. Yeah. It's not like I'm using a mannequin yeah, to render right. this. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. And what? I go on to the rest of the people. But generally what you're doing is, and it's not much different conceptual, concept-wise of what a lot of people do, is you're still doing preliminary studies to get the right, best right. result okay, but for now, the finish. But I, got, I didn't finish. Now, after doing a whole bunch of people online, I have an idea of painted sketches, painted studies. So then uh, I do another drawing based on those studies, uh, and then uh, I know where I want the people to be. <laughs> okay, I know where I want the people yeah. to be. And then I will um, draw a grid. Okay, this was on a four by eight piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So I drew an inch grid, and then I, I, um, I, I got a, a canvas 40 by 80 inches. Mm -hmm. So every square, every inch square is 10 inches. So then I put the grid on, mm -hmm. and then I'll make a notation. 
not necessarily draw, but make a notation of where the person's head is going to be and the body, right. the hands, and so on and so forth. And then is this once, in charcoal? Yeah, yeah, I would do that in charcoal. Right. And then I would have the models come in again mm -hmm. and paint them a la prima onto the, as, big canvas. onto the big canvas Right. as I'm going. You know, I'm assuming, in other words, I want to do it the way uh, Tiepolo and Michelangelo. <laughs> right. Sure. And are you, you know, making Rembrandt, up the, I mean, yeah. they did great work. They are the best. The scene so, around them, are you inventing that? Or are you doing going out and doing studies and painting the, like, the buildings around them or whatever from, from yeah. are you bringing a giant canvas out there? I like, took how photographs. Okay, so you're working. Yeah, for example... Um, I wanted to put a wall that's a part of a bank. Right. You know, and it would have been awkward to bring the wall, the bank into my studio. <laughs> so I took a Tony does it all the time. Always ways. <laughs> and uh, you know, and then with the police barrier, I couldn't get a dog to cooperate. Yeah. And uh, I went into Grand Central Station, and you know they have cops with dogs. Yeah. So I wanted to get the dog when the cop wasn't looking, but the dog was not interested at all. You know, didn't have any look of, you know, anticipation. His heart wasn't in it. Yeah. So, so then I, I, I got some reference. And in some uh, manual or something, there was a picture of a dog being trained in France, a police dog. Belgian and he shepherd. was very attentive and so on. So he was right for what I needed. Don't shop it. You know, so that worked out. And, but that's how I went about doing the painting. So then I would do each person a la prima. And then once I blocked in the people, then I would start painting them. Now, in this sense, it may be a little more like what you do here. I would start, let's say, with the head. Mm -hmm. Because I want to paint wet on wet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I have to do the head while it's all wet. So I'll get that more fluid flow in the paint. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm finished with that, I'll go on to the rest of the body, you know, part at a time. Of course, I come back and touch up here and there. Yeah. But that is sort of a manner of painting, which, uh, you know, I like to do. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm doing a painting of that sort. Let me ask you this. Um, back to what you were saying about painting from life and, and really using what's in front of you to really make those important decisions, to be honest, to really paint and draw and use the form and the color is all related together. So it's very important when you start having to use photo reference and a photograph is so not real and you're not getting the same colors, you're not getting the same values, you're not getting the same. How does that how does that combination of the two work? What Charles Hawthorne told my father, okay. paint what you see, not what you know. I'm always saying that. So in that case, <laughs> photographs are really difficult. Wait a then. Wow. But then when I'm in, in the process of doing this, I don't always paint what I see. <laughs> you paint what you know? Charles yeah. Hawthorne would be very upset with you right now. And I'm sure Charles Hawthorne did it too. Yeah, I'm sure. Because, because the basic idea in the painting is to get things to relate. Right, it's of all, course. It's all a matter of relationships. Yeah. You still got a picture. Whether you're, you're painting from life what you see 
or, wh or whether you're using references. Now, a lot of times I'm painting from life what I see. And I might see a wall that looks light to me, but yet it looks so much darker than the skin tone. So what are you going to do about that wall? Are you going to paint the wall as light as you see it? Because then the skin tone, if would it's be bright, blown, it would be too blown out. Is is yeah. not going to be yeah. so is not going to be so, so bright. So you, you adjust it, right? So what you're painting then is the relationship, mm -hmm. and the bottom line or the main thing is the brightness on the skin tone in, in that particular situation. Of course. So the background, it's not that you're not painting what what you see but you're not painting what you think you see because what you're seeing is a relationship. Of course. That makes that light skin look light. Which your paint can't capture yeah. anyway. Now, now, if the light, if you had a light on the person, see, it looks light. And the background, there might be a white wall, doesn't look so light. Yeah, if you had the light on the wall. It would be very bright. And then the person is in shade then of course it would be different. Yes. So you're really dealing with these relationships. Yes, of course. Yeah. So, so back to the idea of then equip, uh, 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 kind of giving the tools to the art student to be able to know how to do, to make those, those right decisions. So it then goes back to training and then yeah, being in the studio and putting in the time. So you're able to make those decisions right as opposed to just like not knowing what you're doing. Yeah, well, a lot of those decisions just takes time. Some yeah. people... And experience. Yeah, some people get the knack of it quickly. Mm -hmm. And some people... Never get the knack of it. <laughs> and some well, people only sometimes begin they don't to become see things <laughs> when they become an old man. <laughs> you know? Do you feel it like varies. do you feel like you're still learning? Oh yeah. yeah. You think oh, that'll yeah. ever go away? Yeah, I think I'm beginning to see things about color now. But one thing I haven't really done uh, in recent years, or not recent years, a recent uh, year or two is to do the larger compositions. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's because there's a storage problem, <laughs> where am I gonna put these paintings, or uh, whether uh, I need some motivation of where to exhibit it, right. or whether um, I'm trying to make some money, since I'm not selling so many paintings, mm -hmm. I'm trying to make some money with the workshops. So I'm busy with the workshops, you know, mm -hmm. I'm doing an average like two a, a month. Oh, wow. You know, and... and they're uh, a week, usually a week each? Yeah, a so week about each. About five, five a week days each. each. Yeah. You know, and that takes a certain amount of time. But when I'm doing that... Do you enjoy the workshops? Do I do, doing? I do, because again, it's that commitment. Yeah. Just as the commitment in what I'm painting and the commitment that I felt to the students. Although here, it's not like the students at Art and Design. I was not getting paid. A lot of times you have students who you really want to help, yeah. who really have promise. And then you have others who can pay. 
<laughs> and 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 I you know I need the money. Yeah. You know I've got some problems. You got to fund that know, next painting. Life. Yeah, I mean you know I've got to meet bills, pay bills. Of course. You know it's expensive, but yet I really want to help those others. Yeah. You see, so it's a lifelong. You know, what are you going to do? You yeah. know. See, and you know I mean at least if if we were like subsidized, oh then I would just help needy, talented people, you know, <laughs> and that's it. A workshop, how long is it? How long is a workshop? Yeah. Well, usually they're five days, and they go from about nine till four, and uh, half an hour for lunch, and I usually sometimes go over, because I get wrapped up in what I'm doing or saying, and when there's a long model break, I'll always be talking about old masters and how it relates to what we're doing right. and how it relates to some of the paintings that I'm doing. Some people want to take my workshops because they like the multi-figure compositions mm -hmm. and the concepts that I'm expressing. So that's a fact. So I remember in, at SVA during long break, you used to bring in books. Yeah, right, I still do. And, uh, that was and those are like, I mean, at the time, yeah. you bring in books of artists I never heard of, and now they're very yeah. common yeah. to us. Yeah. But I'd be like, who is this person? Like, And you would just bring in these books, and uh, these are artists not that I didn't know and I couldn't find out about. Like more obscure 19th no, century No, they were now very famous well, now artists are, to us. And I don't have examples, then. but it would be somebody like... You know, not Michelangelo. Like, like it would be, Jerome. It would be like, yeah, or something, or you know, and you'd bring them in, and it. I well, would say it, those opened up a lot yeah. of doors for me because one, I would. One of the, one of the people I often talk about, and people get them confused with Bouguereau, is Bouveret. Oh, Bouveret. <laughs> because I really like Bouveret. Bouveret is you know, great. I love, I love the down-to-earth, realistic quality he has in his paintings. I think you know, they call them the, right. nat the naturalists. Naturalists, yeah. right. How do you feel about Bouguereau? Uh, not quite as good as Bouveret. Right. But, but he painted more peasant. You know, he, his whole thing, even though he had this incredibly slick, you know, look to him, he generally yeah, was painting, yeah, you know, know. No, peasants. He, and I, I, admire a lot, cool. I admire a lot of what he paints. Mm. But, uh, in fact, I saw an exhibition once of his work at the... Uh, uh, in Hartford, Hartford, oh, the Athenaeum, Athenaeum. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And I was, it was interesting and because it wasn't just the little girls with babies, but he had other subjects too. But obviously, it's the little girls with babies and all this fantasy stuff mm -hmm. that sell, that sold. Cut yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, super famous. But yeah. you know, I mean, he was he was amazing. But you see, with uh, Bouveret. I didn't see any work like that. Yeah. yeah. You see, the stuff that Bouguereau did reminds me a little of my romance illustration. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because you were actually... I mean, they were skilled works. You were, you were very... Um, 
very busy in yeah. the 80s and 90s for doing yeah. romance illustrated that's that, right that's the first time i saw your work max oh, yeah. tony brought me into a bookstore yeah. he, I grabbed him, he I brought said, me into the romance section i felt like i was being dragged into like the adult <laughs> section at a video Pretty store much it's about to, and then uh you know i'm surrounded by like, like fabio's any idea, abs any ideas and i saw your and yeah. uh and steve's paintings yeah, yeah. On how many the times book covers, did you... which you guys did i mean you guys did yeah. a lot of illustration what what do you how do you feel about that industry and what's happened to it it's gone i mean you've trained a lot of illustrators to go out into that world yeah well well i tried i tried yeah but a lot of them uh didn't didn't really make it Uh, they well even they either were not good enough or whatever the story was but there were some illustrators who were terrible but, but, but they was, got work. But there were some who did just fine, but then yeah. that industry just the dried industry, up. Yeah. I mean, it, it's well, gone. Well, because they started to use uh, digital. Right, uh, right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that I, was a whole outlet for yeah. realist that's painters right, that's true. in a very dark time for realism. That's true. I mean, in I, fact, when I started in 1980, or maybe a year or two after that, there was an old illustrator, I forgot his name, and he came to me because he wasn't getting work. And he was hungry. Yeah. And he said, could I show him something, how I get this done? See, he was used to doing these wash drawings, uh-huh. illustrations, you know, with line work. Yeah. But he couldn't do these tight renderings. Oh, yeah. You know, so, you know, it was just very sad. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the, the, the field changes. That's why even at Art and Design, they said they're teaching skills. So when the kids get out, the skills change. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they need different things. Yeah. But the one thing that doesn't seem to change is the need or desire for drawing and painting realistically. Yeah. You know, and maybe portraits to some degree, or some degree painting, but it's the, 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 the desire is still there. Yeah. You see, because it isn't a matter of just getting a commission. But there's a desire to do that work of art that satisfies your heart, you know. Sometimes, unfortunately, you try to do shtick to sell. <laughs> well, if it wasn't for illustration, I think um, I would say illustration kind of saved the day. Not only in the golden age, but even later on when I was looking at art schools, and I just went and saw which had the best illustration department because I knew that's where you can learn how to draw and paint a little bit better. That's right. A lot of people did. So it was illustration yeah. that saved the day for the a lot of The School of Visual people. Art, the fine art department was a... It was, uh, was a joke. A, was, it was a abstract dictatorship. Yeah. Whereas kids <laughs> who wanted to draw and paint realistically, they came they to all illustration. Went, they yeah. all went but to you illustration see, department. In 2000, I went to the head of school, Rhodes, and Steve was with me on that. And we said, give us a class of just volunteers and give, give them to us for three years after the freshman course. So you wanted to have like an atelier within yeah, the right, school. Within the school. And then we would teach them these skills and you'd have another fantastic product mm-hmm. at the end. They turned it down. Yeah. Can you imagine? That would have been a wonderful thing. I can't imagine. And this though, is because this was so not in the in the that. fine art department. Yeah, yeah. This was an illustration. Yeah. 
It's crazy. That's the way. I, I, rem I, actually, so I actually so remember hearing I about that out. story. I, left, I walked out. And that was it. And yeah. Well, I didn't need the money. I was just doing it one day a week. Right. You know, but I would have liked to do that because I was really making a good income from illustration. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, then you can teach out of your own studio and, you know. Well, not then. Not then. Right. Then, uh, when I left illustration, it was 2004. But I started doing my own fine art using photographs at first mm -hmm. because I had used the photographs in illustration for so long right. that it was like a, uh, a crutch. It right. was a... Uh, well, it was what you were used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Had been your yeah. method for since so, like for so long. Since like 1980, so it's like, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, since 1980, 2004. So, so I, I, I started to do a lot of painting street paintings using the photographs. Right. But instead of painting fantasy, I was painting the reality of what I saw. Right. And I kind of liked that. Uh, but then I began to want to work more from life. Mm. So... What spurred that on? I, well, I started to, I, I felt I needed to. I just w wanted to. I had been doing a little of that in, uh, in uh, SVA. That, I don't know yeah. if you, were you there when I we did there. that painting of Emily, that red-haired girl? She was beautiful. This I'm was not, in I don't remember. maybe 1999. Are you no, I was, already, I was gone. already gone. You know, I must say that, you know, even though the kind of teaching I'm doing now is not, like a steady program mm -hmm. and that is missing those mm -hmm. steady kind of programs not that I want to spend my time doing it but I must say that that's one of the benefits that students have when they come here yeah, like yeah. the Grand Central yeah. Academy and to some of the other places every day it's every All day, day and continuous well and there's a progression yeah. Yeah, yeah right right and there's a development and that is so important yeah you know I mean, uh, so I got to hand it to you guys. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> and the thing is, is we're seeing the results. Like there are people coming out uh, and they're just they're they're it's it's annoying. They're getting really good <laughs> and they're coming out and just doing like really beautiful work yeah. from life. So the whole thing from life uh, here at the Grand Central Atelier is really um uh, one of the really important part is that you're you're observing and you're doing everything from life mm -hmm. all the time. So. I just had a uh, a class of of students from a public school in Buffalo. They came down here and uh, they all we had like a portrait uh, sketch session mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with with all of them. Their teacher uh, Sean Wataki uh, brought them all down so that they could. Uh, uh, just paint from the model here at the Grand Central Atelier. Mm -hmm. They're also all fans of uh, suggested donation. That's right. You heard it here so, first. Shout out to Buffalo. But uh, Max, I really want to thank you. Oh, thank uh, not you. Not only yeah, for coming thank in. Thank you so much for coming, for taking the time to It's talk my to pleasure us and, where I can really express my feelings, yes. my mind, and what I want to say. <laughs> And I hope this reaches a lot of people. It Tons. does. It does. <laughs> it's a problem. I don't know how to reach enough people. Can people go on your website to find out yeah, information yeah. for your yeah. workshop? What's, yes. your, what's, what's your website? MaxGinsberg.com. Uh, MaxGinsberg.com. Ah. Max <laughs> so look up Max. Okay. Suggested donation. Ivan Olinsky.